0: Welcome to 340B Insight from 340B Health.
1: Hello from Washington, D.C., and welcome back to 340B Insight, the podcast about the 340B drug pricing program. I'm David Glendinning with 340B Health. On today's episode, our feature interview is with one of the nation's leading experts on 340B. Maureen Testoni is the president and CEO of 340B Health which represents more than 1,400 hospitals that participate in 340B, in urban areas and rural areas and everywhere in between. She's also my boss. Our own Miles Goldman talked with Maureen about several topics, including how COVID-19 is affecting 340B hospitals, the current state of the program, and even what inspired her to become involved in 340B. Let's hear what Maureen had to say.
2: Hello, I'm Miles Goleman from 340B Health, and I'm joined by the President and CEO of our organization, Maureen Tostoni. Maureen has been leading 340B Health since April 2018, and prior to that was the Senior Vice President and General Counsel at the organization. Maureen is nationally recognized for her expertise on the 340B program and was named by Modern Healthcare in 2018 as one of the 100 most influential people in healthcare. Maureen, I'm looking forward to discussing with you the state of 340B during these challenging times. Welcome to 340B Insight.
0: Thank you for having me, Miles.
2: As I mentioned in your bio, you've been involved with 340B for nearly a decade. How did you become interested in 340B and what makes you passionate about advocating for the program?
0: So, The most important thing to me about the program is the fact that it it is intended to help those hospitals that help low-income people to get health care. And that is is really what makes me passionate about the program, making sure that people really do have access to the health care that they need. Uh, I've been involved in healthcare my entire professional career. Uh, every job, you know, out of college has been focused on healthcare. From um, working on the Hill in the early '90s and working on these kinds of issues, to becoming a healthcare attorney, where I represented a number of different providers, a lot of um, both large and and small providers, from hospitals down to small community health centers, in terms of of their also their ability to provide healthcare. So issues around Medicare, Medicaid and that type of thing. And it allowed me to really see some of the challenges that those kind of entities have with providing care.
2: These are obviously very challenging times. The COVID-19 public health emergency is an unprecedented challenge to the entire country, and especially to safety net hospitals that are caring for patients on the front lines of the pandemic. You interviewed Admiral Krista Pedley, uh, director of Hearst's Office of Pharmacy Affairs, in our first episode on this topic. What is your analysis of the actions HRSA has taken so far to provide flexibility to 340B providers?
0: Well, I commend HERSA for the actions that they've taken. They, you know, when when this really started to take over the country, uh, we reached out to HERSA and expressed some of the concerns that we had heard from our members about some various issues in the 340B rules and regulations that made it difficult to do what hospitals needed to do to treat their patients and HRSA was definitely responsive to that and they made a number of changes in order to help hospitals. So for example there are various drug shortages going on which is very difficult for to b hospitals because for most of the hospitals by being in the to b program they are limited as to where they can purchase drugs from and one thing that HERSA did we, we'd ask them to do is they Reduce the documentation to allow 340B hospitals to make, to purchase drugs from their group purchasing organizations when they are in, you know, a shortage situation. There are also issues, you know, hospitals have had to really change the way that they deliver care. They've had to do things like move their clinics, some of their outpatient clinics, to a different site. And so one thing that HRSA has allowed hospitals to do is to, you know, register those locations more quickly. They have also made it clear that telehealth is something that 340B hospitals can absolutely do and use 340B for drugs that are prescribed as a result of those visits. That has been very helpful. So it, we're really, we're pleased that they took some of the actions that we had asked to make it a little bit easier for hospitals to manage the 340B compliance and also changing things in the way that they need to to help their patients with COVID-19.
2: And one of those areas of flexibility is uh, is around uh, like telemedicine, right?
0: Yeah, so telemedicine is something that has been permitted under the 340B program, but nowhere near Hospitals just have not been using it anywhere near to the scale that they are using it now. So hospitals are, some of the hospitals are much newer to telemedicine. And there have been a lot of questions about, well, you know, if there's, if the physician is not in the same room with the patient, does that really count then for 340B purposes? Does that meet the definition of patient for 340B purposes? And the answer is yes, that absolutely can. And and what hospitals should do is document in their policies and procedures what their standards are for telemedicine and why those patients still count as their patients.
2: Are there further actions you'd like to see HRSA take?
0: There are actions I would like to see taken, and I think there's maybe a difference of uh, opinion between 342B Health and HRSA on things such as the interpretation of the GPO prohibition for example, the GPO prohibition is in the statute that it says if you, for, for many of the hospitals in the, in the 340B program, if they want to participate in 340B, they cannot use their, their group purchasing organization for outpatient drugs. Our legal interpretation of that is that it can't be you know, a regular thing that you do all the time. We would like them to, to see them take a more open position, at least through this pandemic. They have you know, waived um, a lot of the documentation but that still puts hospitals in a position of having to buy drugs that they can't get at 340B uh, at a much more expensive price than they would otherwise be able to purchase through their, their GPO, which offers them a discount. Another thing uh, I would like to see is for new clinics that are being opened, if it's a brand new clinic that has not yet been on the on the, the hospital's cost report, there are limits in under current rules for how hospitals, whether hospitals can actually use 3-4 to be in those locations. Now, I do believe that HRSA is offering more flexibility on that if it's set out in your policies and procedures, but we would love to see more explicit recogn- recognition of of that situation so that hospitals aren't kind of wondering exactly what HRSA's take would be if they were audited.
2: We've been hearing a little bit about an issue around maybe eligibility for DISH hospitals specifically. Can you can you speak a little bit to that?
0: Sure, so the issue with, with DISH hospitals, in order to be part of the program, you have to be seeing a lot of Medicaid or low-income Medicare patients. What hospitals are having to do with all of their care is postpone anything that is not an emergency. And what that does is it can have an impact on the percentage of Medicaid or low-income Medicare patients that they are seeing. And it's affected their payer mix in a way that makes them very concerned about whether they will continue to qualify for 340B. And that's a big risk because if you get, if you don't qualify and you aren't in the program, you have to wait a whole year before you are able to try to apply to get into the program again. So that would mean a whole year of not getting uh, 340B discounts for these hospitals, which for many of them that are already in the red or, or just barely in the black and are, are doing providing a lot of care to, a lot of charity care, they, it, that's something that could be really devastating for them.
2: Can you talk about how we've been working to support our members during the pandemic? We, we contacted HERSA.
0: we worked with HRSA to um, achieve some of the flexibilities for hospitals that I discussed earlier. We've also reached out to the Secretary of HHS and also asked for various flexibilities. We are also working with Congress to address some key issues like this dish percentage issue and other eligibility concerns in order to see if we can get legislation that would waive that eligibility requirement, basically put a pause on it for the period during which the hospital is operating during the pandemic. And we also have a number of resources that we have developed for our members on this. So we have a resource center on the 340B Health website that is dedicated to COVID-19 issues. Many of them are 340B specific. Some of them are hospital specific, but maybe not even necessarily 34 b specific. The government and HHS has done a, a number of things to waive um, different regulations and other requirements for hospitals, and we are including that information up on our website as well.
2: And as important as COVID-19 is, and that is where we know our, our members are, are, you know, spending a lot of their focus right now, there there are uh, some other issues taking place in, in 340B as well. What are the top issues that we should be keeping an eye on?
0: One thing that happened very, you know, recently and that was disappointing was that CMS uh, released a survey for most 340B hospitals that does not apply to critical access hospitals. But all other hospitals were asked to complete a survey on what their cost is of acquiring 340B drugs. And this is a survey that has, that really relates to something that CMS has been working on for the past couple of years which is they would really like Medicare to pay less to three, four to be hospitals. And they started implementing uh, reductions in payment um, a couple of years ago. Hospital organizations and hospitals sued CMS. Then they have won twice in court in the lower court. And now it is at the appellate court where it's been argued. And we're just waiting for a result. So uh, there is a chance that that CMS could lose that lawsuit. That lawsuit, uh, much of it is based on the fact that when CMS cut the payments to hospitals, they did not follow the right procedures. So CMS seems now to be saying, okay, we're gonna try to follow some of the requirements that the law requires that we do, one of which is to really try to come up with an accurate estimate of what the the, Costs would be to a 3 4 B hospital before we try to set prices. Now, CMS had made clear though that they're not just trying, it doesn't seem like they're just trying to get the costs. It seems that they really want to establish a payment level at those costs or very close to those costs. We and other organizations had asked CMS to postpone issuing this survey during this COVID-19 pandemic because it is just so burdensome. There are literally thousands of pieces of information that hospitals would have to review in order to be able to to really complete the survey. They are giving an option to hospitals to be able to do a quick survey uh, instead where you just basically press a button. But as part of that, you're agreeing to, to certain things that I think many hospitals have told us they are not uh, comfortable with agreeing to. We could see CMS try to act on the data they get from the survey. Um, the earliest we would see that would be July when CMS proposes changes in reimbursement for outpatient drugs. That would come out in July and then it would be finalized in the fall. So 340B Health will, will uh, certainly provide analyses for our members and we will provide template letters for our members to be able to communicate with CMS on this and we'll be looking at uh, potentially other advocacy and legal recourse as well. A second issue that is also being considered by Congress has to do with cutting uh, Medicaid reimbursement to 340B hospitals, and there is a proposal that has been passed that would do that, that would reduce Medicaid reimbursement for Medicaid managed care to 340B hospitals across the board.
2: We're in the early months of a new decade, um, one that's had, of course, a lot of surprises already, but what trends in healthcare do you see affecting 340B over the next few years?
0: So that's a great question. Certainly one of the big issues, um, one of the big trends is the push to move care out of an inpatient hospital setting to outpatient settings. So the fact that, you know, more care can be done on an outpatient basis just makes 340B that much more important because 340B applies only to outpatient drugs. When 340B was enacted in 1992, a lot of, things had to be done on an inpatient basis I mean, chemotherapy was largely done on an inpatient basis. If you had um, an organ transplant, you know, you have to get drugs regularly to help with that and that was done on an inpatient basis that has all or much of it has moved to outpatient. So that has had a big impact on 340B. Also, as we are moving away, another trend that we're seeing is drugs sometimes taking the place of invasive procedures. So again, done on an outpatient basis. And one thing with a lot of these drugs that we're seeing is they're coming out at a really high price. I mean, these they're the drugs, they're miracle drugs. They can do things that, you know, we wouldn't have thought things the way things could be done, you know, 50 years ago. But they're they're just just so, so expensive. Those are some of the trends that I that I see playing a role around 340B in the in the coming decade.
2: Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see, uh, to see how those evolve over time. I wanted to end today with, uh, with a more personal question. What might 340B health members be surprised to know about you?
0: 340B Health members might be surprised to know that I am fluent in Spanish, that I used to live in Argentina. My father was from Argentina. He came over here as, uh, as an adult where he met my mother who also came to this country as an adult from Northern Ireland. So I am first generation and I uh, went to middle school in Argentina and still have a lot of family over there.
2: Maureen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
0: Thank you, Miles. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Our thanks again to Maureen Testoni for joining us on 340B Insight. We plan to have regular segments on this podcast where we answer some of your questions about the 340B program. You can email us at podcast at 340bhealth.org. Again, that's podcast at 340bhealth.org. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on a future episode, please email us as well. If you missed our first episode of 340B Insight, Maureen Testoni spoke with Admiral Krista Pedley, the Director of the Health Resources and Services Administration's Office of Pharmacy Affairs, which oversees the 340B program. Be sure to check that out in your feed or on our website. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with our next episode. Thanks for listening and be well.
0: Thanks for listening to 340B Insight. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at 340bpodcast.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at 340bHealth and submit a question or idea to the show by emailing us at podcast at 340bHealth.org.